0: Welcome to another episode of Babsha and Yaya Travel the World. We're so happy to have you here today. You know, our podcast is a place where people can spend some time talking about all things travel and how travel can be part of our lifestyle, whether we're hanging out at home or we've got boarding passes in our hands. Travel definitely influences us every single day. My name is Alex. I play the Babsha role in all of this. I'm a mom of three great adult kids. I'm a teacher in elementary school, love to overseas travel. And I'm a blogger at our website, www.tgskitravel.com. And I am an overall
1: travel junkie. Meet my best friend, Terry. Hi, I'm Terry. I play the part of Ya on this adventure. I'm also a mom of two wonderful adult children. I'm also a teacher. And right now, I'm a big U.S. traveler. Today's show is all about Europe. That's right. It's the big Europe 101 show. We are going to dig into all the nuts and bolts that make any trip to Europe successful. Well, we're going to share some of the things that keep us travel happy when we're planning for Europe. We're going to talk about books and travel tech, travel tips, and products that we love and it's all going to start with a little segment we like to call Now Boarding.
0: In today's Now Boarding, I, we really would like to start talking about what it's like to be in Europe, especially if you're a first-time visitor and you've never kind of had this experience before. There's tons of travel tips and products out there that make everything so interesting. Um, Terry, what would be your number one most basic travel tip to give somebody who's never been in Europe before?
1: Well, now that I am looking forward to getting back into the European traveling once this wonderful pandemic has ceased and desist, uh, my travel tip is do not try to cram everything into one trip. A good friend of mine named Babshi reminded me when you go and you visit a place, don't look at it like... You've got to do everything because you're not coming back. You have to go with the attitude that this is just your first visit. you're going to be back to see it again. so don't try to cram everything in one trip. What about
0: you? Well, first of all, I agree with you on so many levels twenty seven countries in fourteen days does not sound like fun to me mm. like i I think it's a horrible idea. My biggest travel tip, particularly in modern Europe these days is you got to know the reservation situation for where you are planning to go. So if you're going to someplace that's like really out of the way and it's not a big deal, you probably can kind of go by the seat of your pants. It's not that big of a deal. But if you're going to some of those huge icons, and you don't have reservations, you are going to be out of luck. Let me give you two huge examples. Two huge examples. The first one is the Anne Frank House. The Anne Frank House in Amsterdam will sell out of tickets 90 days ahead of time. So you have to like literally decide on a date and a time to go see it. Um, And it is very difficult to get those tickets less than three months out. So I would definitely be sure to to look at that. There are same-day tickets for that, but it, they're very difficult to get. And you're going to wind up being a, a a line stander. And that's mm. just – it's not how you want to spend your time in Europe, standing in lines. There, there's Rick Steve says there's two different kinds of travelers, people who stand in line and people who don't. And so you you kind of really have to know that. The other example that I have is in Barcelona, you can't go in to see um, the Sagrada Familia without a reservation. Again, some tickets, they sell out so quickly, it's not even worth trying to do. Like, you've really got to think about it. So really know what the reservation situation is for where you're going so you're not Missing out or being a time waster, those are two huge, 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 huge things. Yes. Um when you go to Europe and and you have I, I know we talk about that you travel far more in the US than I do, but I also know that you have plenty of experience doing this. What is one travel product that you bring with you?
1: Well, when I'm going, even if I'm flying or going somewhere in the U.S., it's still a good idea to uh, bring like a large scarf or a wrap. One, you get on an airplane and it could be a little chilly, so you can wrap up in it. You could use it as a blanket. Um, also, if you are in somewhere that has a uh, like a religious site and you need to cover up because that is what you need to do. You have it there with you, yeah. And, modesty, yeah, and it's great. Chilly evenings, you have something to wrap up, and you take that one scarf or wrap, and you can use it for all those things.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, even throwing it down on the floor on the ground and it being your your picnic blanket, um, you know, in front of the Eiffel Tower, it's it's a thing that you can do.
1: So very yeah, this, versatile. Yes, yeah. I totally agree totally agree with that that would be my product
0: and what would be your best travel technology advice when it comes to europe and we're going to talk more about this later but yeah and just i as think a favorite it,
1: and i think it kind of wraps into kind of like knowing the reservation situation kind of know where you're going but right now you think about it um we're not going to visit those wonderful museums and art is so important so important to the human well-being that digital tour apps are so great right now because you can visit the Louvre because you can go on a virtual tour and if you think about it it's going to come in handy when you're actually going there because if you think about it there's over 60,000 square meters to cover that's a lot there's 35,000 paintings, sculptures, artifacts, and there's no way you can see that in one visit. Using a tour, uh, the visual, the virtual tour apps, great, because then you can see what you want to see, and then you can really pinpoint what you want to see when you actually go visit. And there's other museums that are doing it. The British Museum, you could do your virtual tours. Uh, the Vatican, mm-hmm. which would be great. So you can see the Sistine Chapel sitting in your bedroom. How awesome is that? We can't go visit now, but take advantage of it with these digital apps and experience the museums.
0: I agree. I think you're right. And it also, in some of those big icon places like the Louvre and the Vatican, it kind of gives you a strategy to set yourself up for when you do go. You know? Yeah. My favorite travel tech app uh, is Google Translate. Man, they can't put enough technology in that app to make it more useful. I, I use it for everything. And especially if you're somebody who likes to make an effort to at least learn a little bit of the surface of a language, it can kind of get you started in the right department. And just, you know taking a thank you note and writing it for, you know, whoever your host is or something like that in their home language. How sweet is that? So I am a Google Translate fan, as many other travelers are, I'm sure. Um, And, you know, you were talking about art before, and I, I really think that art is such a critical part of the European experience. Literally, no matter what country you're in, the art Matters. And um, there is a great book that kind of is a fabulous introduction to why art matters. And it's called The Greatest Treasure Hunt in History. It's written by Robert Etzel. It's actually its target audience is tweens and teens. It's supposed to be kind of a an introduction into um what happened to art during World War II. And if you've seen the movie Monuments Men, you'll you'll know the story that I'm talking about. This mm-hmm. is the the book that kind of shows how real it was. And it's so fascinating to understand why everything is such a treasure and kind of the power of wow. Yes. You know, so really interesting to me. Um, And I really like it. The greatest treasure hunt in history. And we'll put um, links to all the apps and different things that we've talked about during this now boarding section in our show notes so that you can just link right on over to those kind of things and um, they will be super convenient for you. Welcome back to the Babshi and Yaya Travel the World podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. I'm excited and I know Terry you're excited because it's a big Europe 101 show. Yay! Yay! I'm super excited. I know. And we definitely want to spend this episode discussing all of the things that make a trip to Europe a success. There's so many elements that go into it. It's sometimes hard to know where to start. And we want to give you a little bit of help in that. And Europe, you know, it has so much to offer any traveler that it can get a bit overwhelming, but have no fear. We're going to break it all down. We're going to, we're going to get you started on the right track. And we are going to make sure that when you hop across the pond, you've got all the
1: info that you need. Yes, we are. We are going to talk about tons of stuff. We're going to mention a lot in our destinations today, tons of it. We are going to skim over a lot of places. Uh, Today, we're going to focus on overall tips and advice. And we promise that any destination we mention during this chat, we'll show up in a future episode where we can do it justice. So just a reminder, guys, just a little FYI, we're going to save talking about food and passports and packing for other episodes as well so we can focus on those big ideas better. And trust me, guys, we've got some great podcasts coming up. Definitely.
0: I agree with you completely. So you've decided you're going to go to Europe. You've got some planning options that you need. And they kind of range from somebody does it all for you to um, DIY. There, there are so many choices. So let's kind of unpack what they all are. To me, the the biggest kind of all-inclusive one is a cruise okay yes yeah you know they kind of do everything for you basically you choose your daily activities and you're done and that's a great way to go i would particularly be careful though with the timing of a cruise just so that you don't wind up as part of the herd that that would probably be the biggest thing that i would say true true yeah Now, after that, there are plenty of people that will look at travel packages. And, you know, there's some really famous agents, um, travel package companies out there that will kind of put together these iconic tours. Have you ever been on anything like that, Terry? Have you ever done like a travel package?
1: Yes, I did one in the U.S. And they do everything for you. Like, you have nothing to do, everything, you're on an itinerary, and you just follow your schedule. Mm-hmm.
0: I am trying to think if I have ever done that. Um, the answer is no. I've never been on a travel package. I should probably do one of those just to have the experience.
1: We could do that. We yeah. could do that, definitely.
0: We'll have to think of a good place where that works. Um, so travel package like Terry said, has kind of everything done for you. It's a show up and go. Um, They just are not on a cruise. I mean, really, I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, you're on land. Um, So after that, you can definitely contact a professional travel agent. And this is kind of the next step. And I do think that agencies do a really good job of bespoke or customized trips. Um, They are definitely um where you can customize and maybe fit in more of what you're interested in um they probably do cost a little bit more but to tell you the truth i found some really amazing agents who put together kind of customized packages we did one around poland and it was far more economical for us to go through the agency than it was for us to do it on our own and i would have never found all of the places that they found for us because they were specialized in poland yeah right. so they really right. knew what they were doing so it can be a, a good savings and a good way to make sure that you're doing the things that you want to do um and you're not just kind of checking boxes which is my least favorite way to travel is the the box checking bucket list thing i'm mm. not a fan i'm not a fan there are two more ways that you can do this. And um, to me, the, the, the most modern way to plan now is something called travel coaching. What? What is travel coaching? Travel coaching, Terry, let me tell you about it, is a really great way to have somebody next to you as you plan your trip to kind of verify and have some accountability that you are doing the things that are going to bring you the most joy. They're going to kind of steer you away from the duds and Mm. kind of give you Better ideas to make sure that every stop that you make in whatever trip you are planning winds up being the success that you want it to be. So travel coaching to me is kind of like using a travel agent but kind of doing it DIY, kind of like right in the middle of that. So those of you that feel more confident or maybe you're really not confident at all. and You're just kind of looking for someone to say to you, you're on the right track. That's a great thing to do in Paris or London or Prague, you know, wherever it is that you plan to, to go. Uh, travel coaching can be the best way to handle that. And good news, listeners, I'm a travel coach.
1: What? And a yeah. pretty good one at that. But I'm a little partial. Partial. You are a little partial, but
0: we have a lot of fun when we plan. And I do think it's kind of nice to have somebody literally cheering you on in order to do that. So check out our website, www.tgctravel.com, for more information on that. We'll put the link in the show notes for that. And of course, lastly, if you are looking to plan a trip to Europe, there are many people who feel very confident in DIYing it. My only advice when it comes to DIYing your trip is please, please, please do not rely solely on Trip Advisor. That is a crowdsourced platform and it can be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about When you're going, Terry, do you know how many seasons there are to travel
1: in Europe? I believe there are more seasons than I actually knew there were. I'm going to say, off the top of my head, what, six seasons, seven seasons very close to that. Somewhere. I think you're
0: right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to think about the different travel seasons in Europe. The first one is the one we kind of all know, right, Terry? It's high season, summer.
1: Correct. And,
0: and you can imagine that Terry and I have to take advantage of that just because of the calendar that we deal with with work, that's when we're off, you know. So and kind of like so many other people that's when they can go. Their kids are available or, you know, all of those kind of things. So it's the high season. And knowing that it's the high season means that you are accepting the fact that Europe is the smallest continent um, outside of Australia. And it is going to be packed, you know, so it's hot and it's sticky and it's crowded. And you do definitely need to know that. That's not to say you're not going to have fun. You just got to know that. The shoulder season is kind of the ramp up and the draw down to that high season. And it used to be May and September. But that high season is kind of sticking a little bit longer. And now I would say that the modern European shoulder season is more like April and October. No, okay. Yeah, I would definitely say that high season is lasting a lot longer. But you know what? You may want to go for far more specific things. And you can think about seasons like the Christmas season with all the Kris Kringle markets. Yes. Kris Kindle. I mean, how magical is it to go to a place like Strasbourg, France for that? Or, um, you know, the great Nuremberg um, Christmas markets. You know, kind of amazing. And You know, on the converse side of that is the Lent season. Um, Many societies in Europe kind of draw down during the Lent season because that's 40 days, um, the 40 days before Easter, when tourism is certainly a thing, but it's not the big, huge hoopla that you may be interested in. You're not going to find a ton of concerts. You're not going to find... It's just not as as much. So, um, which could be a thing that works for you. Um, On the other hand, You may be interested in all of those festivals, and festival season is something to think of. And festival season is different than the high cultural season. So, like if you're thinking about Vienna or um, Salzburg or kind of those beautiful high cultural places with opera and debutantes and kind of all of those balls and all those things, that's the high cultural season. That's not the festival season. The festival season is more kind of the stuff that um, goes with like the military tattoo in Edinburgh or, um, you know, there's great kind of Coachella-like concert festivals all over continental Europe that you may be interested in. Um, And there's also pilgrimages that kind of fall in the festival season as well. So there's so much to think about when it comes to that calendar. So we're talking about going to Europe for maybe the first time if you're if you're brand new to traveling. So this is what we like to call the big Europe 101 show here on Babsi and Yaya Travel the World. And we are picking up with um, information about researching your destination. You know, you've kind of made your choice of who's going to plan your trip. And you've made the decision of when. You probably have an idea of where. So now it's time to kind of get to work. Regardless of the type of planning you use, you definitely need to have some research under your belt. Terry, what are some of the go-to places that you use to get information?
1: First of all, let me say this. This part of the trip, I think, is almost as fun sometimes as actually going on the trip because you learn so much. So when I was planning my european trip this summer the first thing i did is i sat one day because we're all home at this time and i binged watched the rick steves travel videos especially the places i want to go so i watched those and then rick steves also has great books and he also has the pocket size books to take with you wherever you're going so those to me are great the next thing i like to do is pinterest it's awesome make a board and just go crazy looking at all the things that are available to where you're going it really helps you get an idea of maybe what you want to see what's kind of off the beaten path it's not something that is one of the more popular things to do but it kind of helps you keep yourself organized on your trip planning your trip Mm Hmm. So those are the two of the great things. And, of course, I'm always reading the blogs on teaching global citizenship and gives great information as well. Yes, I think it does. (laughs) Uh Yes. Yeah. You know what? I, you
0: brought up Pinterest, and I think it's really good to kind of mention how Pinterest can be very helpful. Um, there is this whole algorithm, like everything else in the world that we're dealing with now, that Google uses to kind of um, flood your search choices. So, you know, when you put in things to do in Dublin or things to do in Athens, whatever you put in, um, a lot of times you will filter, Google will filter out all of the smaller blogs that people can read where Pinterest doesn't. Um, Pinterest does a far better job of getting you more variety Um, And not just kind of the big heavy hitters. I feel like um, when you go to Google, sometimes you wind up, anything in Europe, you're going to wind up with Rick Steves. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he's this European travel guru. That's all he talks about is Europe um, for the most part, I would say. And he's been doing it for so long. You will see. He will pop up constantly. And there are a couple of other like really heavy hitters that will always pop up and you kind of can never get past them to maybe more unique things where pinterest lets you do that so i do think that your idea of pinterest is spot on because i do think it gives you more and it kind of gives you like that digital vision board to start pulling from when you really have to make firm plans right so yeah i do think that i was listening to an article today um a podcast today that was talking about um how guidebooks are not considered necessarily as important as they used to because of all the digital media out there. And I have to say this, I'm a blogger and I use guidebooks. As much as I love digital media and all of those things, that book in your hand with the maps and the references and, you know, like very concrete stuff, I still am a highlighter and Paige Turner, kind of girl, in a guidebook. I think it's so important um, to make sure that um, you really know all of the choices that you have. And again, I do highly recommend for Europe, I recommend Rick Steves as a really good source for guidebooks. Yes, I think He's probably he's probably the most comprehensive out there, um, so I would do that. And you know, while you're researching, I think another really important thing to to know is um, if anything is an issue, if if you're gonna run into um, things being closed. For example, in Paris, the Louvre is closed on Tuesdays, so um you need to make your plans around that. And kind of researching gives you the inside. Link to all of that, which is so 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 important and definitely something that will help you out, yes, what about um what about transportation you know we we've kind of we've gotten ourselves researched, and when you're in Europe, what are some of the transportation options that you think are helpful?
1: um I like to use the local rail system I mean mm-hmm. We had, we were going to take the Euro Rail from Paris to London. It was a great uh, opportunity, you know, a different way to see the country. So that was um, something that we were looking into. Ferries, ferries mm-hmm. are great to get back and forth one place to another. Uh, we were going to take some day trips from Athens. The best way to do that, right, is grab a ferry. Yeah. What kind of suggestions do you have on transportation? I, You know, and I think you're
0: bringing up some really great points. In America, unless you're in a super, super urban environment, public transportation is just not something that's necessarily convenient. Where in Europe, that is the most convenient. Yes. People use trains and ferries and um, other modes of transportation. Um so much and let me give you a couple of examples of things that i think are really helpful um when you're in a a small town like bruges um in belgium which is like out of a fairy tale it's so beautiful probably the best way to get around that town is to rent a bike which is readily available they just ask where you're staying and they'll they'll probably pull bikes out of their back um shed for you with no problem um so why not ride around on bikes to enjoy this small town right or um when when you are trying to go from one place to another um for example we took the ferry from belfast to scotland it was two and a half hours it was Gorgeous. The, the, the ship itself was beautiful. The ferry itself. We ate lunch on board. We got off refreshed, ready to t- kind of tackle our next adventure. And instead of it just being a pause in our itinerary, it became part of the journey. Which, you know, that's really what we're looking for with all of those things. Kind of like the Eurorail that you were talking about, you know, going through the channel and 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 having that experience in a beautiful European train station. I think it winds up making some simple logistics far more interesting. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. What about and I'm going to skip down. Um what about lodging? What are
1: some of the options you think of when you think of lodging? When I think of lodging, I'm a big I have, I'm, I'm on a big kick of Airbnbs right now. Mm. Huge kick. Um just because I've had such great experience and the Airbnbs I've used have been, you know, US travel lately, And the hosts have been amazing. And they can be give you some of the best insights on your location. They're going to give you the local places to go. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not going to be where they have to promote some certain business or their restaurant in the hotel. They're going to tell you where the best places to go are. So that is one of my biggest. I will go hotel-wise if it's a necessity, like if I need to stay close to the airport, mm-hmm, you know, I can, I'll choose a, a local hotel to stay at just to make it very accessible to me. But those are my two biggest kicks right now. But the Airbnb, that's my favorite. So like for you, when you're traveling, what do you like to do? Where do you like to stay? Well, um, I think that there
0: are great options in Europe when it comes to lodging. Um, I do agree with the Airbnb. My only advice about Airbnb is if you're going to do it, just make sure that you have an outside reference as to the location. I think that that's an important. Yes, yes. Just so that you know you're not going to be inconvenienced because sometimes these places can be like just far enough away from the train station to make it inconvenient or, you know, one of those kind of things. And also make sure that it's locally owned. Um, there are a lot of conglomerates that are coming in and scooping up properties and putting mm-hmm. them on Airbnb and making them look like they're super cute mom and pop places, but really they're huge companies. And I would just really just kind of ensure that you're keeping the money within the community because that's what makes Europe, Europe. Um, I think a lot of people also are looking to make a decision on whether or not they should stay in suburban areas at chain hotels or go for a little bit more expensive in the city center. And, and here's, here's my take on it. I think that city center hotels are totally worth the money. Um, If you're going to stay there, usually they're the oldest hotels in the area because they are in the city center, which means they have far more experience and they're far more charming. Um, The other thing that I can definitely say is that because you are in the city center, you're going to walk outside the door and so many of the things that you're wanting to see are going to be right there at your doorstep. And... It winds you wind up really not having to deal with transportation or car rental or having to travel, which means you're economizing your money and your time a little bit better. So I'm a fan of city center, whether I'm doing a, a local hotel or a local Airbnb. Um, but I have come across some cool alternatives that um, I think people may be interested in. There are um, there is a great rural option, and it's centered. In the country of Italy, um, there is a program through the government called AgriTurismo, AgriTurismo, and they are working farms that you can go stay on as an Airbnb. I highly recommend this in places like Tuscany or, you know, where you're looking to kind of get out into the countryside a little bit. And they are, there's been nobody that has gone to one of those that hasn't had an incredible experience. I've yet to hear a, a bad experience coming out of that. So I really highly, highly recommend agriturismos. Um, the other thing that I really recommend, and it may be something that you never thought of before, um, there are a lot of um, religious lodgings that are in city centers or in historic districts that are owned by um, the local churches and they are run by nuns or monks or brothers and, um, there is a great book and we'll put the link in the, um, in the notes. It's called good night and God bless. And it's, it's got a list. I'm telling you, it's like 700 pages of places that you can stay in Europe, um, all over Europe, um, that have really great historical buildings and a lot of them are run like you would never know that it's an alternative. It feels like a mom and pop hotel when you walk in, except maybe there's a sister sitting beside behind the registration desk. So, I mean, it, it could be a lot of fun. And I think you'll have access to art that maybe you've never had before. Some of them have incredible walled gardens. So I think that's really neat. If that's your thing, I think it's totally worth it. And the other type of lodging, the last one that I want to mention, is if you are an avid hiker and you're going somewhere like, I'm going to choose classic Switzerland, there is an entire system of chalets where you make reservations day by day and you hike from one to the other. And it's like this huge kind of cult following with all of these chalets and there are books and books and books about all of that so i think there's kind of something for everyone and i think like the overall takeaway is just keep it local yes
1: and i want to point out when i'm staying in europe and what we're accustomed to over here is like air conditioning and heating system make sure on your airbnb that if you want to have central air, you need to make sure that it's in the place that you're looking at because it's not very common. I agree. I I
0: completely agree. That's a very important tip. And um you're going to find um I know um we're calling back to Rick Steves here for a minute, but I know I've seen him in an interview where he said, "I never put a hotel Um, or a lodging in my books that doesn't have air conditioning because Americans aren't used to that. And I don't want them to be disappointed. So um, when it comes to your lodging, make sure that you're getting all the things that you're expecting and chain hotels are definitely the easiest way to do that i just think that with a little bit of effort you'll get far more out of it and again it becomes part of the experience instead of just a place to lay your head
1: right right now can we circle back i don't know if we've Mm -hmm. mentioned it yet but talking about where we're staying if we're staying in city central however can we talk about safety because you know me you're always telling mm-hmm. me, yeah, yeah, you got to fit in. You don't want to look like a tourist. But why are we saying that? What kind of safety issues do we need to be aware of when we head out on our big European trip? I think this, this is probably the number one question that
0: I get. And I think that there's probably three big things to know. First of all, the number one issue um, for tourists in Europe, actually around the world, is pickpocketing. So with that being the number one issue by far, may I say, um, tourism and traveling is a pretty safe activity to do worldwide. Um, you So there are certain things that you can do in order to Help yourself. So, I'm not calling out anybody on what they wear or what their fashion choices are, but let me say this Gentlemen, do not show up with baseball caps, statement tees, and cargo pants because you are going to be pegged as an American right away. Right away.
1: Can I wear my it's fanny?
0: True. Can I wear my fanny pack? No fanny packs. No, no, no. Not unless it comes from a European
1: high end store. No fanny packs allowed. Now, I do remember the one tip that you gave me that was kind of unique. I didn't think about it because what do you do before you go on vacation? Everybody gets a new set of sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. But your recommendation, and I really liked it, was buy something European. Buy something that's going to fit in culturally over there, and it helps you not stick out.
0: Exactly. You know, the idea is not to make it about your brand names. Travel really isn't that time to kind of hone your image. It's your time to kind of, you you just, my feeling is, the rule of thumb is, is this going to stand out? Is a pickpocketer going to peg me in the crowd because I look the way I do because I'm dressed the way I'm dressed and nine times out of ten if you look at what you're wearing it's true you know and I mean I don't know that I can ever not look American I think that I can look less
1: like a gullible American though well, um, I'll you just know, hang up my fanny pack I'll hang it up <laughs> and not take it
0: Yes, and put those big old nails away. You don't need that, and you don't need your fancy jewelry. And, you know, there's just like, just put it all away and get yourself a good trapsle, tra- travel capsule wardrobe, which we're going to have as an entire episode. We're going to do a whole thing on how to pack and and how to choose what you're bringing with you. So I think that will be super helpful with that. Yes, if you're. If you're just joining us, uh, this is Bobshi and Yaya Travel the World. We are really pushing through the big Europe 101 show, everything you need to know in order to put your feet on the ground across the pond. So we're talking about safety issues, and there are quite a few things to talk about. And probably the most serious statistic that I can give you is that the number one reason for death of tourists and this is worldwide this is not just europe is driving auto accidents which it makes sense it makes sense yes. however um when you're on the continent meaning you're outside the british isles um you are driving just like you would in the united states it's really not that much different it's the same car set up and everything they don't drive on the other side of the road just up in the british isles um the other you're never going to believe this the number two reason for reason for death of tourists is is a collective okay are you ready i'm ready it's been nicknamed murder by selfie apparently there are so many people that are climbing out to the edge of cliffs trying to get the best water shot trying to jump out in front of a train, get a selfie and then jump back in. And between the drownings, the fall, the accidental falls, the electrocutions, all of that, trying to get these sh- Instagram shots, it has been collectively considered the number 2 reason for death of tourists, which yeah. is crazy to me. I just can't believe it. So be careful.
1: Uh, don't you would not don't
0: do that kind of stuff.
1: It's in the news every day over here in the. US, people mm-hmm. have this fascination with getting selfies with wild animals like bison. Do they not think they're gonna attack? I don't know. What are we thinking?
0: Yeah, I I mean I crazy. crazy. It, it amazes me that that is even by buy the postcard. Buy the postcard. Really, right? Let's a professional get your shot. It's Amen. No, you're no, yeah. Your Instagram account's not that important. No. Um. So the the third thing I I wanted to mention those two things. The third thing that I would say is an issue when you're over there is any kind of technology thievery, meaning somebody kind of um goes in on your iPhone and can swipe your password and credit card information off your phone, those kind of things. There is an app to help people with that, and it's called a VPN. I am literally going to give you a link to um, a really good travel blogger named Angel, and he will totally set you up in understanding what VPN is like. um, There's one called TunnelBear. And it allows you to really make sure that there's no way for people in your area to get information off of your phone wirelessly while you're on public Wi-Fi, which you're probably going to use when you're in Europe. True. Yeah. So those would probably be the biggest safety concerns, you know. Don't stand out for the pickpockets. Don't become a statistic for murder by selfie. And watch your iPhone use a VPN. I would definitely say those are.
1: Hang up my fanny pack. Hang up the fanny pack, girl. We just can't do it. We can't do it. <laughs> I'm gonna you retire know. it. It's retiring right now. It's retired.
0: Yeah, yeah. If if you're, I'd rather you kind of stuff it down your bra. Just, just put your phone in your bra. <laughs> We're not doing it. <laughs> I'm
1: going to be a true ya yeah, to yeah. Just stick it in my bra. <laughs> stick it in your bra. Put your money right down by your boobs. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> okay. I feel like we had so many logistics taken care of in going to Europe, which they're so helpful. One that I would like to bring up that I think is really important is the getting there and the leaving. Um, a lot of times people, don't take into consideration that the round trip is not the deal that it used to be. It's not at all. And there is, there is a benefit. And sometimes it could be a cost effective benefit of flying into one city and flying out of another so that you're not circling back and wasting time, you know, and our, our vacation is precious and we, we need to treat it, best that we can so that what we're doing is worth our time and it's just not schlepping around.
1: Exactly. Can we add to make sure when you're traveling and planning that you tack a day on for travel at the front and the back of your vacation? Because you're going to need, it's going to eat up that time and you need to be aware that you're not, you may not be in london for 10 days because two of those days are going to be traveling days
0: exactly and i will say this if you're forced to take a a layover i would make the most out of it i would not make it the inconvenience that layovers normally are um i will tell you that if you're flying into paris there's a great flight that pops into copenhagen it's on klm It pops into Copenhagen, and it gives you 14 hours in Copenhagen before you go over to Paris, which is only, like, an hour away. Really, really simple. But you've just, like, experienced downtown Copenhagen for a little while. Yeah. And, you know, it gives you, like, that much more experience. And, you know, you take a little cat nap going to Paris and... You show up, you're refreshed, you've already had a chance to walk a little bit, and you just kind of get going. So, I mean, there's all kinds of situations like that that exist. So extended layovers can actually be your friend. I would not fight them as much as we used to.
1: No, embrace them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if you're just joining us, this is the Babshi and Yaya. Travel the World podcast, and we are talking all about Europe. Yep, it's the big Europe 101 show, and we have tons to share with you. We've talked all about safety and logistics and getting there. So
1: now we're there. We're there. We've booked where we're staying, whether it be an Airbnb or we're in City Central in a local hotel. We're ready to start sightseeing. We are. And I mean, Europe is one of the the
0: centerpieces of art. Um and, and so many different kinds of art exists exist there from Picasso and Gaudi to Monet to Byzantine art to Renaissance art with Michelangelo to unicorns in Scotland. I mean there's there's so much and knowing about that art is definitely a way to connect for sure.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean if you're going to Athens, you need to know your columns because that's a huge part of art over there. I
0: think you're right, you know, um understanding art and architecture and, and the history that goes with it, like what it took to to create these things that we call masterpieces. They're called masterpieces for a reason. And there is a complete evolution of artwork between ancient times and... Um, up to modernism that you find kind of further to the West. And I think understanding that kind of stuff is super important. You know, in Athens, understanding the difference between Doric, Ionian, and Corinthian columns is just as important as understanding why Monet painted those water lilies over and over and over again in Normandy, you know, like it, it gives you something to connect with. And Correct. and may may I say this, and this may be the most important thing, is find your art groove. You know what is it that that inspires you when you look at that art? Are you a Van Dyke kind of guy, or are you a Monet lover, or um, do you find it fascinating to look at Byzantine jewelry in the National Archaeological Museum in Athens? There are so many different ways to look at art. Maybe you're really into sculpture and Italy, like Florence, is where you need to be. So I do think that finding what your art groove is, is really helpful. Really helpful. Um, Another thing that you might want to think about is really thinking about how much you want to spend time
1: going to these icons of the world. I agree. I think sometimes when you're in places, you need to dig out those hidden gems, the places that are not on the beaten path, but you will be amazed at what you see. You talk about when you go to Paris, everyone says, oh, I want to see the Louvre. I want to see the Eiffel Tower. I want to, what about the catacombs? That would be amazing, When we were in London, uh, we had planned to see the first operating theater. Stuff like that that's off the beaten path. Those little hidden gems that will enhance your trip.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I would not be adverse to saying that it's really okay to skip the icon. Um I have been in Rome and not gone to the Colosseum and <gasps> it's okay.
1: <laughs> you what? know, I mean,
0: yeah, I know. <laughs> and you're still <laughs> in oh and, and I made it and I'm I'm okay. I wound up instead of going to the Colosseum, my choices were the Colosseum or this church um called the Santa Scala. And um it turned out that this church contained the steps to the palace of Punctius Pilate, and they were yeah they were brought back by um constantine's mother helen um and she installed them you know she had them and they've been installed in this church and people pray the rosary on their knees on this stairway and they kind of climbed to the top in prayer on the stairway. And it was a moving experience to do. And it was far better than going in to see the the Coliseum, in my opinion. I, I just, okay. I enjoyed it far more. And it was So much more interesting. And I do think that there are so many hidden gems all over Europe that can get overlooked so easily. Um, You know, back to that very first thing that you said, don't try to cram it all into one trip, you know, think that you're going to go back. I really do think that taking a cooking lesson in um, making strudel or making raviolis or, uh, you know, um taking a walking tour, any of those kind of things are making memory, yeah, they're far more interesting, and they make far better memories than just going to icon after icon after icon, um especially in our digital time, yeah,
1: but can I say this if you want mm-hmm. to see those icons, um you have options of walking tours and bus tours that you can take several hours out of your day and make a stop by all those icons and see. For example, when we were going to we were in Paris, we had scheduled a night red bus tour to see some of those icons, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower to drive by and all lit up because who doesn't want to see the Eiffel Tower lit up? so what we mm-hmm. did is we were able to rest you were on a red bus you had you could either choose audio or you could have some um a presenter and you got to ride around and see all of those so I think those are great options if you want to get a visual you know not take the time and tour and go in but just do as I like to say do a little drive by.
0: Yeah. And, you know, getting your bearings in a city, that can be extremely helpful. And, you know, I think there's a lot of controversy with those hop-on, hop-off buses. I think they can kind of clog up certain urban areas uh, so much that it winds up not being enjoyable. But I do think that there is a place for them if, like what you said, there's another reason you're using them besides just going around the city, Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you want to go and see Paris as the city of light. And one of those forms of light, it's the most underlit city in the world. And there really is something very magical about seeing it like that. So, I mean, if I'm going to take the hop on, hop off bus tours, the red bus tours, I would want to do it at night in Paris because it is going to give me an experience that I would not get in another way. Um, conversely, you can look at hop-on, hop-off buses as convenience. Um, I know we were going to Uber out to go see the Britannia, the Queen's yacht in Edinburgh. And um, it wound up being far more convenient just to take the little hop-on, hop-off bus um, that went out there. And, you know, so I think if you have another reason for using them, I think that they're a great value Um, And it also means that they're helpful to the travel industry wherever you are. You know, like if you can't find another reason, you probably don't need to be taking it.
1: Right. And I think just look at what you want to accomplish on this trip. Mm -hmm. You know, you could do a walking tour if you want to, but really do your research. We were going to do, you could do a walking tour in London that took you uh, by Freddie Mercury's house hashtag gone too soon. Mm. However, I could take myself and walk by his house just by myself because that's really all I wanted to do. So did I need to sign up and do a walking tour or could I just take a stroll by myself? I chose to do by myself. You just need to weigh your options on what you want to accomplish with the tours that you want to choose.
0: Exactly. And Europe is full of great walking tours. Don't get us wrong. Um, oh, I do yeah. think that there's a great place for them. One thing that I completely recommend in any city is a food tour just to learn the local food, especially if you're in a place that maybe you don't know so well. So if you really don't have like any ties to Greece, take a food tour in in Athens for sure you know um we did one in a town called voklov poland and it was fascinating It was not just about the food, um, although that's how it was built. It was about the history and why you were eating that food and how the communists had something to do with that. And, like, it it was just amazing how much the food had to offer into that. And, you know, there are quite a few other ones. Architecture tours, ghost tours. There's tons of those like that. I did a really
1: good Jack the Ripper Mm -hmm. tour in London. It was, it was really good. It was, it was just, it was scary and it was just full of a lot of facts that you didn't know. But I do agree with you. I think the food tours are becoming really popular. Like, I think it's a great way to get to know places that you're at.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, imagine doing that early in your trip, like in a place like um, Prague. Well, now when you go to the local restaurant, you kind of have a better idea of what you're going to like and what you're not going to like. Right, You right. know, which, which makes that experience that much better, you know, kind of monkey barrels into a better experience, you know? So I feel like we have covered so much. And if you're just joining us, this is the Babshi and Yaya Travel the World podcast with our big Europe 101 show. We are talking all about how to make the best out of your experience in Europe so that every memory that you have is a great one and that's what we totally want to do for you on every podcast so we thought we'd really kind of dig into europe and i think one of the biggest things we could not talk about europe without talking
1: about the over tourism problem yes i don't think right now we're having an issue with the (laughs) the pandemic (laughs) But with the COVID, but I do feel when we get back to a normal state in a couple years, hopefully we see normalcy come back, that you do need to take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. I was watching uh, Rick Steves talk about Venice, and it's so beautiful. But I really think you need to, to be aware of when they bring in the cruise ships and let those people off. It's so crowded. It's so crowded,
0: you know. And there are hot spots in Europe that are really suffering. Um, The three biggest are, of course, Venice, which I think is in the news enough where we all kind of know it. P.S. the the whole dolphin post that there were dolphins in the canals that was that was photoshopped. Um, How (laughs) it was, (laughs) I know, I know, but it it is I come home. Yeah, it is kind of like, um, it's not a fun experience when everybody is belly to butthole on the, on the Rio Alto Bridge, you know, like it's not fun and it's hot and it's not fun. I just, I don't agree. With you know, and
1: your hygiene may be better than the person you're next to. So that makes it a whole different ball oh of wax. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah, like I just can't look at another tour group flag in that place. Another issue, which is the Venice to the north, is what they call it, is Amsterdam. And, you know, Amsterdam literally, like Venice, has more tourists in it than citizens in any given day. Wow. That's a crazy concept. And that means that the infrastructure is not going to hold out much longer. We kind of need to be a bit responsible and careful With these things, and I highly recommend um, that whether it's Venice or Amsterdam or Barcelona, which is the other huge one, um, make sure that just don't even bother in the summer. It's
1: really not worth it. It, It's just so much. And do your research. Read. Do your research because you look at these pictures. If you're on Pinterest, you're like, "Oh, look at this! This is lovely." There could be ten thousand people in that one spot. But Mm -hmm. that, you know, you need to do your research and see when when is the high traffic time? You know, do you want to be belly to butthole? Think about yeah, it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I'll tell you another place that it happens. And again, it's because of the cruise lines. Um, the these these ports to the south, Barcelona and Venice, and Santorini, Greece is another one that gets slammed daily with so many people who want the famous sunset picture from Oya, which is the town where you know, it's the one that you see in every Instagram picture. Right. And if you could see the other side of what that looks like um not looking out at the sunset it is there is a reason that chaos is a greek word it is out of control it is out of control so i i mean i oof. I am not a fan of the cruise ship in those places that really can't handle them. So definitely think about over-tourism and use your timing at shoulder seasons and off-seasons to go and see those places. Yes, they may be a bit more beautiful in the summer with foliage and those kind of things. But I think it's just, it's really tough to enjoy them. Very tough.
1: So since we are talking Europe 101, and let's Mm -hmm. say I contacted my wonderful travel coach and said, Alex, I've never been to Europe. Where do I begin? Where do I start? What kind of suggestions do you have? I have
0: three suggestions that I think kind of fit three different kinds of personalities and comfort levels. So the first one that I recommend is Ireland. Um, I think Ireland's a super easy trip to take. Um, there's no language barrier to start with. And I think there's so many people that have some sort of genetic connection
1: mm. in
0: some way or another that it makes it super easy to go there. The only drawback to Ireland for the beginning traveler is that you do, dr- you do need to drive and you do need to drive on the wrong side of the road. Other than that, I, I cannot find faults in this country anywhere. Like it, it, it's that amazing and it will be that great of an experience. Okay, So um, that would be the first one. Um, the next one that I would really recommend is Bayou in Normandy, France. And Bayou is a very interesting um, town. It's about eight miles from Omaha Beach and it is a great home base for many, many travelers um, when they go to explore um, and kind of take in a D-Day experience. Um, everybody speaks English. It's very American-friendly there, as you can imagine. Um, and it is a really great launching pad f- to learn so much about our own history and how it connects with European history. So I think a really great
1: way. With a bonus of it's the home of Impressionism. Which and Can I add this? I think to try to you know for some of us like you and me, who our husbands aren't these oh, let's travel to Europe, this mm-hmm. could be a good starting point for them.
0: I agree, I think this to me is kind of almost the ultimate family compromise trip. there's like a there's something for everyone in this, um from art to history to food to experience like. You kind of can't beat it. Mm -hmm. So I do think that Bayou is a great place. Now, if I were to go on a girlfriend's trip. Yes. Okay. If I were to go on a girlfriend's trip and I was taking you, Yaya, with me, the first place that I would take you is Bruges, Belgium. And if you have seen the movie in Bruges, which is super dark comedy, however, it highlights the city very well. Bruges is a time capsule of medieval architecture. And I swear to you, this town smells like chocolate and waffles. Sign me I, up. I, I And I have to believe that Walt Disney walked the streets of this and went, got it. <laughs> got it. I understand what I need to do in my theme park. Like I, I really think that that's where he got the idea from. That in Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen.
1: Who doesn't love chocolate and waffles? Oh my god! I mean, like I,
0: it's it amazes me. And you know, um, I the last time I was there, I was there with my mother, and we're sitting eating this fabulous meal, um, mussels and frites and just all the amazing food that comes from this area. Um, classic food that comes from there that you definitely want to try when you're there. And, um, the carillon in the bell tower started playing and a carillon is basically a church bell organ. Like, it gets played by pounding fists on pedals, which ring the bells, so you can actually play a song. And this man played his heart out for 30 minutes. And it was so lovely. The sun is setting. Everything smells like chocolate and waffles. The bell tower is going nuts. The food is great. The atmosphere is out of a fairy tale, like Bruges, Belgium for sure would be a really like if you're looking for that quintessential Europe experience Parish. sign me up sign yeah. me up book yeah. my ticket amen as soon as i can
1: <laughs> okay yep. we're waiting so with mm-hmm. that said let's let's think about all we've talked about so much from planning where we're going where we're staying what we're seeing what is some one thing That's really going to make us fit into, do we need to know about before we take that trip?
0: If there were one last tip that I would give, and and this is especially true of the high season. If you're traveling in June and July, um, this is going to sound crazy, but I would get to know European football soccer not necessarily know the teams but the world cup finals and um the the last big championship game are during that time they kind of happen um toward the end uh, through june and and kind of end in july but the cafe culture and the piazza culture and the and the plaza culture um it's a lot of fun and In order to join in and kind of root for a team, you kind of just have to know who's playing and what the basic rules of the game are so that you can drink and you can and cheer with everybody else. And that to me is quintessential Europe is like joining in in the crowd that's around you and really appreciating the fact that you kind of get to do this with other people. That would be the big thing. Know how the World Cup is going to play out. Gotcha. Yeah. What about you? Any last minute tip? Simple, grand tip that kind of covers
1: everything? Plan your trip. As soon as you can, people. When travel begins, pick your location and let's get out there. I mean, the economy is, some of these... Poor little places. They, they they thrive on on tourism and mm-hmm. we need to get back out there. We need yeah. to be able to get back out there.
0: I agree with you. Um, I am so glad that we got to talk about this particular topic today because I think there's so much to share about it. And again, we are going to cover all of the different places and ideas that we talked about in individual episodes in the future. But we definitely wanted to give you kind of that primer, which we like to call Europe 101. We hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. We drop two episodes
1: every month for year-round travel fun. You can find more tips, hacks, destination guides, and inspiration at bobshiyanyaya.com. That's also where you'll find information about our upcoming workshops and our upcoming small group travel experiences. That's right. We'd love for you to join us during our travel season as we take in glorious destinations like Edinburgh, paris warsaw and amsterdam it's going to be so much fun don't hesitate to leave us a little comment or review especially over there on itunes
0: where the numbers do all the talking we'd love to hear from you you can also find us on all the social media including tiktok and facebook by searching at babci and yaya that's b-a-b-c-i-a and y-i-a-y-i-a We look forward to sharing our next episode with you.